got other things tied to your ear. You've got to be careful how masks come off. Emil, I might need you as a rescuer now, now, but we'll see. Hopefully it's stuck. Good evening, everybody. It's, uh, it's great to be with you this evening. And uh, I was just thinking, I was meant to be standing here a couple of months ago. And then uh, I lost my taste. <laughs> and we all know what happens then. So, uh, but praise God, I'm still here. And uh, I trust that um, as we spend some time together uh, looking at a passage of the New Testament and uh, climbing into a, a topic um, of identity, that uh, my heart will be spoken to and your hearts will be spoken to as only God knows how to. And so uh, let's commend that to him and ask him to do that this evening. Father, it is just a joy to sing together, even though these horrible masks suck into our mouths as we try and breathe. But Lord, the truth of your person, the truth of your word doesn't change, and we have the privilege of being able to worship a God who does not change. And that's among circumstances that around us change and fluctuate and are so uncertain. Father, we thank you that what we can rest on in you is absolutely certain. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts this evening. Lord, as we open up this passage in Ephesians, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would allow only the words that you would have spoken to leave my lips this evening, Lord. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't think I need to introduce myself, but I'm... I've been here a while, sort of starting to become part of the, the furniture of Central Baptist, although not here, but at the Hill Campus. And um, it's lovely to have my mother here with me, with us this evening, uh, on her little four-wheeler. But uh, over the next three weeks, um, we're going to be dealing with a, a short little series on this topic of identity. And we're going to be looking at two passages, one from the book of Ephesians and one from Galatians but as way of introduction, um, Daniel, perhaps you can stick on the second slide there. Um, I think on that first slide, you'll notice there's the, the three topics that we're going to look at. But uh, on the second slide, I introduce my, one of my favorite uh, series is the Born series. And uh, it's a series that deals with identity. How many people have watched the Born series? Okay, quite a lot of you. So uh, it deals with identity. And in the first movie, starts off with the main character, Jason Bourne, being fished out of the sea, out of the ocean by a fishing boat. And as they revive him in this grimy ocean uh, fishing vessel, and they remove a bullet from his back, and he comes to, and he has no idea who he is. No idea what his name is, doesn't know where he lives, where he comes from, doesn't know how he ended up in the ocean. And so the movie portrays his search for his identity while continually evading government operatives. And of course, in that movie, everybody's trying to kill him and he miraculously survives all of these attempts on his life. But identity is a hot topic today. I don't think there's anybody here that can deny that. Identity is a hot topic. We see it around every corner. 
We see the world trying to tell you who you are. And if you start diving into this topic and start looking at some of the stuff that's available out there, it's a bit scary. A psychosocial development crisis manager, a guy called Eric Erickson, who lived from 1902 to 1994 and worked at Harvard and Yale, said, an identity crisis is a time of intensive analysis and exploration of different ways of looking at oneself. Those with the status of having a scattered identity tend to feel out of place in the world and don't pursue a sense of true identity. If you go onto Amazon, you can buy a book called The Dilemma of Human Identity, and it'll cost you 450 bucks. You can go to Harvard today, and you can take a course that's called this, Between the Gender Lines, the science of transgender identity that deals with the ABCs and the LGBTQQIAAP and two S's of gender and sexuality. You can actually do a course with that title. If you work for someone, you could effect your own dismissal by posting something conservative on social media about identity. That's how sensitive the world has become about identity. So to get our minds into this and to start to prepare what I'd like to uh, help us think about this evening from the passage, I'm going to stick up a bunch of names on the screen. So Daniel, you can stick up the first one there. And you not often get the opportunity to shout out in church, so, but tonight you're allowed to, Charles. I hope that's okay. You can even shout out, okay? So I'm going to put up names. No, not that slide. Or is, is that the whole slide up? Okay, they're all there already. Okay, Oscar Pistorius. Okay, you might have to shout a bit louder through your masks. What, what comes to mind when you think of Oscar Pistorius? Murder? That's all I'm hearing. Sorry, guys. Athletics. Okay, legs, no legs. Billy Graham. Evangelist. Bible. Okay. Sia Kulisi. Rugby captain. Princess Diana. Princess. Car crash. Okay. All sorts of terrible news at the end of her life. Robert Mugabe. Okay. I'm assuming there was lots of... Benny McCarthy. Champ. Okay. Michael Jackson. Thriller. Controversy. All sorts of... Interesting things that could come out with that. Jabulani Myberg. Pasta. Where are you? Is Jabu disappear again? Okay. Justin Bieber. Great songs. I'm not too sure what else we could say there. Helen Ziller. No, don't say anything. Because I don't have too many nice things there. Caitlin Jenner. Transgender. Confused. Disaster. Okay. Yvonne Chaka Chaka. Some great rhythms, okay? And so we can go on. And so what we've basically just done now is I've named a bunch of people and you have shouted out aspects that speak to characteristics of their occupation, their reasons for fame or for infamy, 
Reasons for controversy, their actions, good deeds, bad deeds, something that stands out, some to do with legacy, and so the list can go on. So as you've thought about this person, there's been something of this person's identity that has come to mind immediately as you've thought about that person's name. Almost all of the results of the actions of the persons in question is what you've shouted out. But these things... Um, but these things that have defined the identity of many of these individuals are really superficial things. And what we need to get down to today is the real guts of identity. And Paul speaks about different types of identity in his letter to the Ephesians. But before we get into the first chapter of Ephesians, let's have a look at the background of this group of people that Paul is writing to. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Dan, I think this year you got the next slide up. If you drive there today, it's going to take you about 165 hours to get there. Ephesus was the most important city in the Roman province of Asia and had an approximate population of between 300,000 and 600,000 people. So it was a fair-sized city in those days. It was a great commercial center. It had a very, very active port, which made it very good for business. It was a religious city with the infamous temple of Artemis, which was dedicated to the Greek goddess of Artemis, sometimes referred to as the goddess Diana. There was this great harbor, lots of ships coming in and out. Later on, that harbor filled up, it silted up, and the whole city actually shifted many kilometers inland away from the harbor because it was no longer functional. But there were four major highways that crisscrossed in Ephesus, and that brought a lot of commerce through the city. It was a very developed city for its day. It had public baths, theaters, libraries, even had paved streets, which was something very significant for the time. But also, it had this incredible temple that was dedicated to this Greek goddess of fertility. And she was worshipped by having uh, relationships with temple prostitutes, male or female, there were some terrible, if you want to go and research it yourself, there were some terrible customs that were part of the worship of this goddess. And uh, it was something that had become a character trait of the people who lived in Ephesus. The Ephesian people had become identified by wealth because of all the commerce in the city, as well as by immorality or worldliness in every sense of the word. But there were Christians living in Ephesus. And Paul wrote them a letter. And so let's read, if you want to open your Bibles, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll be reading from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise for spiritual blessings in Christ is the start of the next passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know this verse so well, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship 
through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the, same, is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so here we see Paul's call to the people of Ephesus to an identity defined by Jesus Christ and not an identity defined by the city that they lived in. These people had two options. All the people of Ephesus had two options. As the gospel slowly but surely spread, as the church grew, and people were exposed to the gospel, they had the option, do I stand where I am in this identity of my city, this identity into which I was born, this identity that if I travel to another city and people hear I come from Ephesus, they'll immediately start thinking, oh, you're from that place, and they have some kind of idea of what type of person you could possibly be from that place, or they had the option of starting to listen to this message about this man, Jesus Christ, that was being preached. And Paul is here calling the Ephesians, identify in Christ. And so you notice the emphasis I was placing as we're reading through that passage of Christ Jesus, in Christ, in Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ, through Jesus Christ, in Christ, under Christ, and so we go on. And so there's this identity dilemma. And the identity dilemma is not even as simple as the identity that was associated with those 
who were born, lived, or worked in the city of Ephesus. But the identity of every person born into this world, the dilemma that we have as human beings, we're born into this world as sinners. We're born into this world as though we're relishing everything in this town, of, in this city of Ephesus. We are born with an identity that keeps us away from Jesus Christ. We're born with an identity that divorces us from any hope, from any hope of eternity, from any chance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, this identity that comes with sin and is so easily characterized by this city, by the character traits in this city of Ephesus. Daniel, could you stick us over to the next slide, please? And so, just as Paul is calling these Ephesians to, to, in a sense, come over from an identity in the city and an identity of their heart and come over to this identity that they can find in, in Jesus Christ, they need to be spiritually born again. And that's not born as in like born our series. It's the real born again. And so, this identity dilemma needed to be identified by the readers of this letter to the Ephesians. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That new creation is a new identity, a brand new identity. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That identity that is characterized by being in the world by being old, in other words, that old identity that you and I were born with, and, and we need to remember that. We need to go back to that and remember that because there's so much in this world that says, you're a good guy, man. That's, that's a good person. You know, that person, surely that person is not condemned. That, that person, they, you must see what they do. It's such an amazing philanthropist. They're a good person. Christian, you need to remember that without Jesus Christ... There is no good. There is nothing of the new identity. There is only everything that you and I are born into this world with, the old condemned identity that comes with our sin. In the world, old, in sin, without purpose, and then only our random superficial identities. You shouted out a bunch of character traits, names, words that you attached to the different people that we listed a few moments ago. It, was, it could be based on where you're born. could be based on what you do. It could be based on what you achieve. It could be based on good things that you've done. It could be based on your skin color. It could be based on so many things. And yet, without Jesus Christ, those are just superficial, unimportant identity character traits and have nothing to do with our true identity, our primary identity. And so we have to understand, and if you're sitting here tonight and you've never come to know this Jesus, it's not me that's telling you these things. It's God that's telling us these things about who am I without Jesus? Who am I without Jesus? 
I have an old identity. I have an identity without hope. But praise God, praise God that there is opportunity for a new identity. There is opportunity for a new primary identity, no matter my skin color, no matter my culture, no matter my age, no matter where I'm born, no matter whether I'm rich or poor, no matter my qualifications, no matter any of those superficial identity character traits, I have a new identity, which is my core identity, which comes from Jesus, and everything comes in that new identity. In Jesus, new, sins forgiven, with eternal purpose, the ultimate born-again identity. And just like we've, we've looked at born, being fished out of the sea, and not knowing where he came from, not knowing his name, when you and I find this new identity in Jesus Christ, all we need to know is where we've come from. We don't need to delve into the depths of all the ugliness of where we've come from because God has given us this new identity and it is so, so important for you and I to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. Far more important than what language we speak or what country we come from or what customs we keep or what our habits are, our identity in Jesus Christ. There is only one place to find your way out, out of this identity dilemma, and that is through Jesus Christ, to allow him to remove your heart of stone and to replace it with a heart of flesh. So Jason Bourne eventually, in a seminal moment in the first film, he gets to this point where he phones his own phone number. He gets hold of his own phone number and he picks up the phone and he phones his phone number and he hears an answering machine saying his name and his surname and then he finds out his address and he goes and visits this address and has to break in obviously with some superhuman mechanism, breaks into his own apartment and starts to see who am I, this, this, is, my, this is actually who I am. But he's just finding out superficial stuff. He's just finding out superficial stuff. And so where is, or what is, your true identity? Where is, or what is, your true identity, folks? In 2019 and 2020, our family was praying for a miracle. We were praying for a miracle that the cancer that had riddled my dad's body would be healed. And I think I, could, I can say we were praying with a deep belief that God could heal my dad. And my dad had served God his whole life, almost his whole life. He was a full-time worker. He would go to prisons and share the gospel of what a new identity in Jesus Christ is about and how you can discover this new identity in Jesus Christ. His life was, was committed to the gospel. 
spending time with drug addicts and people who abused alcohol and had committed crimes and ended up in rehab centers, committing his life to serving God. And here he is being eaten away by cancer. And so we prayed. We prayed for a miracle. We prayed long and we prayed hard for a miracle. And we laughed together and cried together as a family. But last year, God chose not to heal him. But you know what makes that process of what we went through as a family okay? Is because we were praying for a small miracle. We were, we were praying for a, a little tiny miracle about cancer. That the world would go wow about if he was healed. If, if, if they had taken the scans of his body and then done scans after a miracle, the, the medical fraternity would be just blown away. And yet the greatest miracle had happened on an Easter weekend in 1968 where my dad was sitting in an Easter family camp or a young people's camp and he heard the gospel being preached and he heard that he had this birth identity, this core identity of a person who is identified by their original sin and had no hope, had no chance to be in God's presence. And he came to that point where he realized he needs to have this heart of stone changed with a heart of flesh. And so back in Easter 1968, the biggest miracle happened because that's when, when, when God healed him from his old terrible core identity to this beautiful new identity in Christ. And over the years, he went from being a watchmaker's son with a white skin and eventually in his 20s, a bald head, teacher. Then he was an elder in a church and then went into full-time ministry and all these little superficial identities. But underneath that, was his identity in Jesus Christ. And it's his identity in Jesus Christ that influenced everything in our home, and obviously my mom's. Influenced what we did, how we did it, where we went, what was spoken, how we spoke in our home, learning to be forgivers, learning to, to live, to honor God, so many things, all of these aspects, these beautiful facets that can be there. Don't worry that we weren't a perfect family by any stretch of the imagination, but all of these aspects were underpinned by an identity in Jesus Christ. His birth identity was changed. His primary core, ultimate identity as a follower of Jesus Christ, was set. And that was far more significant than the tiny little miracle that we were praying for last year. And so, if Jesus had to do a CT scan of your heart, because he can, and he doesn't need the scanner, if he had to do the CT scan of your heart, like my dad had these scans, and we saw all these ugly spots that were indicative of the cancer 
and indicative of very little hope on this earth. But if, if God did that for you now, as you sit here this evening, if he did that scan of your heart, he's looking at your heart, what's he seeing? Is he seeing a heart that is, that is identified by sin, identified by your primary nature, identified by all that has come before, the old, the in sin, away from Jesus, no relationship with God? Or is he seeing a heart that he already knows because he's changed it? Because he took the heart of stone out and gave you a heart of flesh. And there has been this beautiful miracle of salvation. And I know many of you here this evening, I know that you're sitting here with that new identity. Praise God. Praise God. What a fantastic place to be in. Because when we look ahead, no matter cancer, no matter COVID, no matter World War Three, no matter global economic crisis and energy crisis, no matter, no matter, no matter, this core identity will take me through. Isn't that something great to hold on to? Man, I don't want anything else. And so this evening, we're going to be spending a few moments, in a few moments, we'll be spending some time considering the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we're humans and we need to be reminded, we're going to be sharing a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine to help us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who took us from this old identity into this new identity. And if you are sitting here this evening and you know in your heart that that CT scan, as it were, of your heart is still dictated by your old core identity as a sinner, I challenge you tonight, don't let another evening go by without coming to him. And it doesn't matter. You don't need to put things right before you come to him. Coming to him is putting things right. You don't need to sort stuff out before you come to him. Coming to him is sorting out the biggest thing in your life. And so I want to challenge you this evening. Don't go home without that. And for those of you who are sitting here this evening who have this new identity and are perhaps feeling encouraged that, yes, that's, thank you, Lord, you've reminded me of my core identity. What does that mean? Next week and the week after, we're going to be looking at other aspects of this identity and what God expects of us having this identity in Jesus Christ. Let's close our eyes. Father, this has been a short introduction to an aspect that Satan so desperately wants us to be confused about. And Father, the world clamors for our attention to distract us from the important aspect of who we are. Wants us to identify with people and things, lifestyles, cultures, wants to pull us away from who you want us to be. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody here this evening who hasn't yet come to that place of putting their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would help them to come to that point this evening 
to commit their lives to you and to offer up their heart of stone to be replaced by the only one who can with a heart of flesh. And Lord, for those who have never really considered this aspect of who they really are in Jesus Christ, Lord, I just pray that you would, that you would pull us along, move us to the right, Lord. Move us in the direction where we become more and more like you. Father, we pray that you won't leave us the same. In Jesus' name, amen.